Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Title Side, Chicago Title, Oklahoma's podcast here in 2021. Unfortunately, I am flying solo today. Ken McBride is not with us and uh, will be with us on our next podcast. We are uh, blessed today to have one of my my local heroes. And, and Rob, I say that just because I've I've got to learn a little bit about your story and I'm looking I'm looking very forward to to hearing from you today about your past and some things that you have done that that I admire more than you'll ever know. Thank you. Um, you know, you've got a history similar to my grandfather, who was a Purple Heart recipient sure. in World War II, and it just you know warms my heart of what he gave for this country. But uh, you know, I just first and foremost, I want to say thank you, oh, thank you pleasure. for what you've done. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. But introduce yourself and kind of kind of tell us uh, where you're at now. And sure, yeah, uh, Rob Allen. I am the uh, co-founder, uh, broker, owner of Sage Sotheby's International Realty in uh, Oklahoma City. We've got two offices: one near Nichols Hills, one with uh, uh, just recently opened in uh, the Midtown District. Uh, between those two offices, we have about 45 licensed agents, agents uh, about five employees. We've been around for uh, four years, affiliated with Sotheby's uh, almost two years ago. So um, we've uh, grown grown quickly. I got to tell you, the the initial kickoff party. That was a good party. That was cool. That was a good party. That yeah. was that was one for the ages, man. That was a beautiful setup, beautiful venue. Uh, yeah. I loved it, and I was proud to be a part of it. Yeah, I got to hand it to uh, uh, Jennifer Craig and Jenna Harper were uh, instrumental, and uh, and Summer Smith were all instrumental in, in putting that thing together. So all I did was write the check. Well, let's go back a little bit. Um, you were in the Army, correct? I was, yeah. Where did you go to basic? Fort Benning, Georgia. I've been there. May of 1999. Spent a couple summers there in the 70s. At Fort Benning? At Fort Benning. What were you doing? Because oh, your grandfather? My, my uncle. Your uncle. Okay. Uh, my dad's brother was a drill sergeant there. Okay. Um, and I would go spend my summers with him. And, uh, it's hot. I would go, oh, hot, hot, hot. But beautiful. It's beautiful. Very cool part of the country. I didn't get to experience all the majesty that Georgia has to offer. I was... At basic training. Yeah, my uh, my uncle had two daughters, uh, two cousins. One has uh, has passed, and then I have another one that's up in the Tulsa area. Mm-hmm. But you know, I, I kind of got to go up and be the the son that he didn't have, and he took me to uh, work <laughs> with him every day. And I got to that's I got to kind of be at the side of a drill sergeant on a day to day basis, which was it was just super interesting. It's 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 uh, interesting. Those guys are the consummate professionals, uh, and they their ability to turn it on and turn it off uh-huh. is impressive. Oh yeah, um, he's one of the most jovial, funny guys I know. But but when he gets boisterous and when he wants to make an emphasis, is yeah. probably how I should put that. He definitely knows how to do it. Yeah, <laughs> he gets to he knows how to get soldiers to do what he wants them to wants them to do. So what year did you? I enlisted in uh, fall of ninety eight which is when my enlistment term uh, began. And then I shipped to basic training three days after I graduated from high school. Wow. So that was May uh, like 15th of where, 1999. Where were your roots in high school? Bishop McGinnis. Bishop McGinnis. Yeah, right down the street. Nice, yeah. So after you get out of basic, did you go back to school? Um, no, I took a year off. So this is a... Um, period of my life that I think a lot of people don't know. Um, 
but I went to California and I was actually in the California National Guard for a year and I worked on uh, movies and commercials. My older brother was in the entertainment industry and so he hooked me up with a job um, and, uh, you know, and then I was out there for a year and um, I was 19 and I realized that working on um, movies is still really hard work <laughs> and it's not just all, you know... Um, rap parties and uh, award ceremonies. It's uh, it's you you actually work, and um, I was too immature to realize that. So I thought school was where I wanted to be um, because I thought that was an escape from having to do real work. Well, uh, you had a you had a year of fun. I'm assuming I had it, a year it of had fun. Its fun. I had a year of fun. Yeah, I mean it was good. I knew I at least had enough self awareness to know that I wasn't ready for college. Um, and, but when I did go to college, I didn't have the self-awareness to know that I probably wasn't still ready for college. I'm glad I went, but um, I spent about a year and a half um, fumbling my way through college. I'd made B's and C's, not great grades. Um, I was in the Oklahoma National Guard, and in 2001, um, 9-11 happens, you know. And um, I world changed for all of us, but I knew particularly that um, my... Um, service in the army was going to take a different path. Um, you know, because I, when I enlisted, it was peacetime. It was, mm-hmm. it was the nineties. There was nothing going on. Right. And then, um, you know, I was at UCO nine 11 happened and, uh, you know, I, I knew something was going to change and within a year I got orders to deploy. And so, um, it was, yeah, September of 2002, I was activated and uh, we started training, uh, not for Afghanistan, but for Kuwait. And so Janu- that's where it initially started. Right? Um, so, so January uh, two thousand three, I was in Kuwait, um, and then of course in March two thousand three, um, there was shock and awe and the invasion of Iraq. Right. And so, um, if you if you remember the watching the news back then, you saw the soldiers all in the bunkers yep. with their gas masks on. Mm-hmm. Well, that's what I was doing in March of two thousand three, is diving into bunkers, you know, in my gas mask as Scud missiles were, you know, detonating all around us. So um, it's pretty terrifying time. But of course, I was, you know, young and. So you were twenty then. I was twenty two. Twenty two. Twenty two. Yeah. Prime of your life. Yeah, you know, I was over there, and um, I didn't have a mortgage. I didn't have any bills to pay. I didn't have any kids or a wife. I was just kind of, uh, you know, um, to be honest, I didn't want to come home. I was I was uh, running and gunning, and that was yeah. where I wanted to be. Um, but I do remember it was March Madness was going on, right? And I remember, um, and I might have told you this story. I can't remember. Um but uh, it was March Madness during the invasion, and I remember being around Nasiriya, and um, which is in southern Iraq, and and um, we'd all huddle around the Humvee at night and listen to armed forces uh, radio to get the March Madness scores. And at that point, OU had um, some title hopes, and um, Hollis Price was at OU, and he uh, he was being interviewed, and and. Uh, on Armed Forces Radio, and um, he said something to the effect, the guy was just class act, I remember him saying something like, oh, yeah. you know, 
you know, basketball is just a game. You know, we're all thinking about the men and women they're serving over in Iraq, and, wow. you know, which was really nice. But all the men and women in Iraq are like, what are the March Madness scores? You know, what yeah. care? <laughs> or the, what's going on in the basketball? You know, so it was pretty funny. It, it was nice to know that his thoughts were on us, but our, ours were with them too. So, um, yeah, 22 years old, uh, sitting around a Humvee, it was 100, 100 degrees at 10 o'clock at night. I mean, it was... Um, sweating. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, re- I remember those days as a as a young man, and you know, working my tail off trying to trying to get where I am today. And like you, wasn't married then, and kind of had no direction. Uh, life was having fun, and and I just uh, you know I looked at people like you with so much respect. Oh, thank you. Just because of what you were what you were giving up, you know, you were giving your life to a cause for this country, and. Uh, you know, I look at our society today, and I just, I, I really hope people have a respect and an appreciation for sure. the sacrifice. Because it's real. I yeah. mean, you know, as a young kid, I saw what, you know, military personnel have mm-hmm. to go through. Sure. You know, it's it's not an easy life. Yeah. You know, it's it's pretty grueling. Yeah. Um, you know, I grew up with that appreciation. My dad was in Vietnam, and I heard his stories. and, and uh, But I think that, um, you know, for probably a couple of generations now, everybody's worried about, um, you know, the next generation and whether or not they're going to appreciate the service of our military men and women. And, and you know, um, hey, the, the, the people that are signing up now, they, they sign up knowing what they're getting into. I signed up in the 90s, right? I mean, it was, you know, it's peace time. A little different time. Yeah, yeah. I thought I was going to get my college paid for, you know, um, <laughs> which I did. Thank you, Army. Um but uh, but you know the guys, the guys and gals that are signing up, that have signed up over the last twenty years. I mean, they know they know what they're getting into when they sign the line. So it's uh, you know, kudos to to this younger generation. And and mind you, they weren't even born. Yeah. On nine eleven. Uh huh. Yeah. Um, I, I know that you had a, a very severe injury, and without it getting in, into too many details, sure. Where did that happen, and and kind of what? Led you to that? Well, it wasn't. It wasn't as severe as it sounds, but um, you know, war stories are like fishing stories; they get bigger and bigger, right? Um, I know all about that. Yeah. Um, (laughs) So uh, now I was on my second tour in Iraq. Um, I was there for a fifteen-month tour from two thousand seven to two thousand nine. Um, during what was called the surge. I don't know if you remember mm-hmm. that or not, um, but it was an influx of American forces in Iraq to quell Al-Qaeda's presence there. And so um, I spent 10 months uh, in uh, Diyala province in eastern Iraq along the Iranian border conducting uh, um, smuggling interdiction and counterterrorism operations. Um, and then after 10 months, I moved up to Mosul, which was the yep. Wild West. That, that's, that um, was a pretty rough a bad area. Place. Yeah. It was a bad place. And, uh, and so we were up there uh, conducting counterinsurgency uh, operations, and it was um, – and to that point, it, was, it, it had been a grueling, a grueling time. Um, and at one point, our, our unit had the highest casualty rate in all, of all American forces in Iraq. And they know that because we sustained more casualties than all the other units – in Iraq combined wow. during that period of time. So wow. um, it was a tough time. Um, yeah, lost friends, had friends wounded, um, lost soldiers. It was, it was a really tough time. And so I was in my 12th month of a 15-month tour, and I was standing on the airstrip in Mosul, Iraq, 
Um, and, um, we started taking fire. We were in a, we were in a, uh, basically it's a memorial ceremony. It's called a ramp ceremony. It's where, um, you know, a couple of pilots had, had uh, lost their lives the night before. And so when somebody loses their life, you, um, anybody that's available to see them off on their flight, um, um, comes to pay their respects. And so I was on the airstrip, um, paying my respects as these, the remains of these soldiers would be being loaded onto, uh, the aircraft and we started taking fire. And, uh, before I knew it was really going on, um, I felt the pain, uh, in the side of my head, uh, you know, memory's a little fuzzy from there, but, um, I, uh, I went down, guys were yelling, they carried me into, uh, the hospital, which was right there, and, uh, they sutured me up, it turns out that I'd taken a, um, an AK-47 round, uh, to the side of my head. So does that say that they had to have been close? I mean, they, they couldn't have been, what, 300 yards out? Um, that sounds about, that sounds pretty reasonable, it's, it was in this, um, it's hard to describe, because it, because there are these office buildings around the um, the flight line there, and you wouldn't have really realized that the terrain outside the perimeter was elevated. Right, right. Because Where they had a buildings. point of view. So once you know, you know. Sure. You know, and um, I think they changed some protocol after that incident. Yeah, I'm sure but, they did. Uh, um, but yeah, once you <clears throat> once you once you look around, you realize uh, you know there's a hillside there where with a pretty sharp view of of uh of the tarmac there so um yeah i mean i was i was in and out of the hospital a few hours i got some staples in my head and i went back to work that's awesome yeah i'm very lucky that's awesome so you spent your last three months and came home yeah i got to finish out the tour with the guys um by that point i was an executive officer uh, of my unit there and so my job was pretty logistical at that mm -hmm. point. So I was coordinating our redeployment back to the United States. So making sure that all of the, you know, weapons and night vision and everything was cleaned and accounted for me. It was, um, of course, um, I say I'm lucky. It's like, um, it's, you know, I'm the only one that got shot out there. <laughs> you know, there's a bunch of guys standing out there. I'm the only one that got shot. And it was while I was on the Ford operating base. So, um, yeah, you know, up to that point, I'd been doing all this cool stuff, <laughs> high speed stuff, and uh, you know, running around like it's bulletproof. And then I have a, you know, basically a desk job, and I get, I get that's crazy you know, hit in the head. You I know. mean, it, you know, Rob, that it it's just a crazy story. It's a crazy story. It's just a crazy story. Do you want? To, have I told you the craziest part of the story? No. So, um, I got back from Iraq in January of '09. I left the army in April of '09. I took the LSAT in May, um, and I got admitted to law school in July, and I started law school in August. So very quickly, pretty quick transition from uh, being in Iraq to being a, a law student. Yeah, you know, a little different life. I get an internship <laughs> at Chesapeake Energy um, in the legal department. I end up getting hired there after law school. I was a litigation attorney for a few years. Um, eventually get laid off and I go to work with my cousin, Chris Allen, at the Allen, at the Allen group. And I was just selling that year mm -hmm. and an old buddy of mine from high school asked me if I'd sell his house. Of course I wanted to. And so, 
um, I told Chris that I was about to, uh, I had my first listing coming up. Um, it was going to be priced in the $130,000, $140,000 range. And he said that he had an investor that might be interested in it as a rental property. And he said, um, you know, you want to show it to us tomorrow? I was like, yeah, I'll meet you there at 10 a.m. You know, so, um, so I meet Chris and his investor client at um, my upcoming listing the next day at 10 a.m. And um, he introduces me to uh, his client, Mike. And Mike, giving Chris a hard – Chris was in the Air Force. He's an Air Force guy. So he's like – he said to me, he said, you're not another Air Force guy, are you? <laughs> and I said, no, I was – I was actually, I was in the army and he's like, oh, you know, no kidding. Uh, and I'm, I'm leaving out some expletives here, but, um, <laughs> yeah, he said, he's in, some colorful language. No, no, no kidding. Uh, and, uh, and, uh, he said, I was just giving him a hard time. I was in the army too. I said, oh really? When were you in? And he said, oh, one to oh nine. I said, I was in 98 to oh nine. I said, so he said, what unit were you in? He said, well, my last unit was third ACR. And I said, I was in third ACR. <laughs> That's crazy. I said, when were you at 3rd ACR? He said, 06 to 09. I said, that's when I was 3rd ACR. That's 3rd Armored Cavalry Regiment. And I said, what squadron were you in? And he said, 1st Squadron. I said, so you were you were in Mosul? He said, yeah. I said, I was in 2nd Squadron. And I said, hey, you remember hearing about that officer that got shot out on the flight line? <laughs> and he said, he looked at me and said, yeah. I said, that was me. And he said, he looked at me. He said, Dude, I carried you into the hospital. Oh my God, are you kidding? Kid you not. Um, it gives me goosebumps. Crazy. I mean, literally gives me goosebumps. He's not from Oklahoma. He's from uh, he's from Alabama. He got out of the army same time as I did, and unemployed for a while. And he gets hired on in the oil field in Louisiana, working on a rig for Chesapeake Energy. After a few years, he gets relocated to corporate headquarters in Oklahoma City, and he finds oh, my wow. cousin as his realtor. Wow! Yeah, what a story! Yeah, crazy. And 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 here's and and so while I was in the hospital, um, you know, he was the regimental commander's uh, aide at the time. Okay. And so when the regimental commander, um. Part of that job is carrying around a backpack full of awards for the regimental commander in case he wants to give somebody an award. Right. And so in that moment, he pulled a Purple Heart out of his backpack, and the regimental commander pinned it on my blanket at the time. So the Purple Heart that I got came, from came out of his backpack. <laughs> and uh, we wow. went to the OU Army. He was a West Pointer, so we went to the OU Army game um, a couple years ago. Which was a nail-biter. Oh, it was a great game. But nail-biter. We've, we've been able to stay in touch, and he's a great, great guy, and... Um, very fortunate to run into him again. I actually had plans to go to New York to to see the return game. They got canceled last right. year. Yeah, but uh, you know, I love to travel for college football, and I thought that would be one of the ages. Epic. You know, one for the ages after they came to Norman and did what they did. You know what I liked about the the game in Norman, though. I mean, Oklahoma embraced the Army. Nobody was rooting against Army. Mm-mm. Everybody was rooting for OU, but nobody. I mean, they. Uh, the National Guard and the Active Duty Army, they had set up those static displays of weapons, tanks, and, uh, you know, artillery pieces yep. uh, on campus. And um, it was also um, OU ROTC program received the largest private donation in history, like $20 million wow. that day. And then the Secretary That's of the so Army cool. came in and the Golden Knights flew, you know, parachuted uh-huh. into the field. I mean, it was uh-huh. a whole event. So. Well, and, and you look at the history of OU's, you know, offense running the same – you know, type of offense that Army runs now. Yeah. It, it's 
you know, true OU fans just have a, a such a respect for the wishbone and that veer yeah, type of offense. Of it was cool. Very cool. So you get through law school. Yeah, we were talking about real estate. Yeah, and you <laughs> fa- you fall into real estate. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I think that's how most people get into real estate is they fall into mm-hmm. it. Absolutely, uh, it very draws few you people. In. <laughs> very few people like go to school for real estate, graduate, or just get out of high school, go get the real estate license, and then spend a year or a career and. And real estate, I, I, and I'm no different. But I was—I mean, I was—I uh, was—I was an attorney. I was working um, at Chesapeake. Um, you know, I think everybody kind of knew, saw the writing on the wall. I wasn't happy in my job, and um, and uh, and kind of, you know, knew these layoffs were coming. And and uh, and I, it's funny. It's like everybody thinks that. You know, when in the big companies, they're like, you know, layoffs happen on Tuesdays. So it's like rumor. It's like every Tuesday, it's like, is this going to be the Tuesday? <laughs> is today my day? And every Tuesday morning, I'd wake up and I'd say to my wife, I'm like, oh, let's hope today's going to be my day. Today's going to be the day that I'm, you know, that I get a severance package and I get to go do what I want to do. Um, and it, But that by that point, my uh, my cousin had started talking to me about, you know, have you ever thought about real estate? And I said, you know, every, everybody's thought about real estate at some point or another. Um, you know, he said, "Ah, oh, but you'd be good at it," and started getting bent in my ear a little bit. And so I started working on my license stuff, and um, and then I got laid off. And so um, I had six months severance, gave me enough runway to finish yep. getting my license. You know, start holding open houses, start generating leads, let everybody know I was in the business, uh, and get a closing under my belt. And so, um, you know, being laid off was. Uh, was a great benefit. I don't know if I would have been able to do it, you know, jump in uh, head first like I did right. uh, had I not been laid off. So I'm very grateful for that. Um, and uh, so I spent that first year just hustling. Well, you you may have already answered this, but mm-hmm. it may it may have come in your life after this yep. point in your life. But has there been somebody in real estate that you look up to as a mentor? You know, has somebody really motivated you to to get where you are today? Um, well, I'd say one, the opportunity was presented by my cousin, Chris, right. and I would not be in this, uh, position were it not for the opportunity that was presented by my cousin, Chris. That being said, what motivated me to succeed was fear. Mm-hmm. I had to feed my family and I had to pay some bills. I um, understand that. And so I wasn't going to let my fear of picking up the phone or my fear of rejection be the reason why I couldn't put food on the table. And so... And I'm sure a lot of my friends uh, muted muted my calls a lot that first year because <laughs> yeah. they were like, you know, why is Rob calling me? Um, but um, I tried calling everybody I could. I wrote letters to to, to people I knew. I mean, I was um, sending out business cards. I did postcards. I was uh, open houses. I called Fizbos. I called expireds. Um, I was doing that's the uh, grind right there. I was doing coffees, breakfasts, lunches, dinners, happy hours every single day, trying to talk to as many people as I could. Yep. Um, and so, um, yeah, I mean, I, I really grinded it out. Um, that first year, I ended up closing, I think, close to four million, something like that. Um, Not a bad first year. No, it wasn't. I mean, like I was trying to figure, and, and, and I feel like I was teaching myself almost all of it. I mean, I was mm-hmm. learning as I went. Fortunately, I'm also a licensed attorney. So if I don't have an understanding of basic contract law or property law, I should probably be disbarred. But, um, <laughs> the, uh, you know, I, I think that benefited me. Um, and I've been through the process before. Um, I've been through the process myself. And so, 
Um, so yeah, I mean, I, 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 uh, feel mostly self-taught. I mean, I was listening to podcasts and reading blogs and reading all the books and I mean, and I, and I still do. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, I was just doing whatever I could to, um, educate myself, get experience and meet as many people as possible. So kind of walk me through the steps as, as you envisioned Sage Mm -hmm. and walk me through the steps that really got it started. Okay. Um, so one year into real estate, I'd been selling, I'd just been selling it. And fortunately as an attorney, I was able to go straight to getting my broker's license. Right. 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 Um, and I think during that first year, I mean, I met some, I did, I did some transactions with some, some good agents, some mediocre agents. I mean, I'm sure I was mediocre on some of them, but I was, you know, I was looking around and, and realizing that, um, um, there was room for another type of brokerage, a brokerage that was comprised of only full-time agents professional agents um and that that we weren't going to be a training ground for everybody we weren't going to be right for everybody but we were going to be a place that um was full-time and professionals and uh and so that's where the name sage really comes from right is sage is somebody that's you know it's wisdom it's a, a wise person um and so we we started the brokerage with the expectation with higher expectations that our agents should know more than just how to fill in the blanks on a contract but actually understand the contract um, that they should understand at least have a basic understanding of what the title companies are doing and what the mortgage lenders are doing and how it all ties together that we dot all of our i's we cross all of our t's we don't miss initials we don't miss signatures we do it the right way up front so we don't have to go back and correct it later i, I promise you that's appreciated yeah well um you know and and i think what happened was we, you know a few agents uh joined us first it was uh the hefner team amon and alexis hefner uh joined us and um and uh you know we started growing from there, and I think that they appreciated being affiliated with um, a brokerage that expects excellence. I think that sounds like a corporate buzzword. And when I've heard, when I heard it in the pet when I was in the army or when I was chess speaking, you talked about excellence. It's a eye rolling kind of buzzword, but when you when you really start to understand it, it's pretty valuable. It's a standard. It's a standard. Yep. And that's what we call it. We call it the Sage Standard. And I guarantee you, all of my agents um, have heard me say that over and over and over again. The Sage Standard is, um, you know, is um, that what's good enough other places isn't good enough here. That um, everything you do, um, you know, the way you do anything is the way you do everything, right? Um, or my favorite, and I, they, all these, all the, all our agents, they're probably rolling their eyes as, as they hear this. Is they, um, is the, the, my favorite uh, colloquialism is um, the standard you walk past is the standard you accept. That's good. So I've said that from the very beginning. That's good. And if you think <clears throat> about it, it's pretty powerful. So if an agent sends you an offer and it doesn't look right, and you just have your buyer, your seller sign it. Right, you're accepting the standard. 
that's now your standard. That's right. Right. Um, if I'm walking into the office in the morning and there's a piece of trash on the ground and I walk past it, that's now my standard. That I'm okay with trash being on the ground in front of my office, or I can just spend two seconds and pick it up and make it right. And I feel like that's the majority of problems anyway. Is like, yeah, you know, it's funny. Like when I was in the army, when I was in law school, when you talk about ethics uh, in real estate school, and they always try to put you in these ethical scenarios where you're trying to choose mm-hmm. between the hard right and the easy wrong. Um, you know, like it's hard. Sometimes it's hard to do the right thing, and it's easier to do the the wrong thing, and so people choose the wrong thing because it's the easy way. That's about one percent of scenarios. Ninety nine percent of right. the time, it's the easy right versus the easy wrong. It's so easy to do it the right way the first time. I agree. Um, I agree. And so, um, I think the problem is, um, to be honest, and this might not be a popular opinion amongst brokers, um, but that the the barrier to entry into this industry is incredibly low. Anybody, just about anybody that has a decently clean criminal record mm-hmm. um, can go to real estate school online. They can take a state test and they can get their real estate license. That's why you have 6,000 something realtors mm-hmm. in the Oklahoma City metro area alone. Right. But then... So anybody can go get licensed, just about anybody, you know. But then they can also go hang their license at just about any brokerage. Any broker will take them. And these brokerages are um, are just open doors, and, they, and, they, and, and they're revolving doors, you know. And, they're, and so they've got more agents. They, they need more agents. It's more almost agents, like it's more. a numbers game at times. It's all about agent count. Right. So what if you're limited? What if your brokerage is limited to full-time professional realtors? Or you turn away more realtors than you have. Um, it's about quality, not quantity. The interests of the broker and the agent are aligned. They make more money, we make more money, you make more well, money. Well, you and do realize who benefits from that. Well, the client. The consumer. The consumer. The, the, the people that we're all trying to serve. Yeah, and, 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 and here's, here's, here's another dilemma. Is the 6% royalty, or excuse me, the 6% commission is, is under fire. Right? It is, yep. And the reason why it's under fire is because the consumer doesn't think that realtors are worth that commission, you know. And um, and junior agents that are brand new are charging the same commission as right. seasoned agents. Why? As an attorney, an associate attorney doesn't charge the same amount as as a senior attorney. You get what you pay for, right? And so... Our agents are equipped with tools and resources and and a reputation um, that can justify that full commission. But they have to defend yeah. it because so many people are used to paying a six percent commission and not getting that that value back. It's probably not a, a popular. No, but it opinion. makes sense. But it makes sense. Yeah. yeah, it really does. So so tell me about this the Sage brand. Sure. And, you know, you've got it now located in two different uh, locations. Do, yep. you, do you have a vision for more? Yes. Um, short, short answer. But I'll say this is that, and, and this has been our philosophy from the very beginning, is that I will not sacrifice culture for growth. I won't sacrifice quality for quantity, right? Right. Um, so if I were to enter into another market, if I were to open up another 
office, it's going to be under the right conditions that that I choose, not because I feel compelled. Right. Um, um, it just has to it has to make sense. Um, I don't know. There's something as when you're speaking of growth. Yeah. We opened up in Midwest City this week. Did you? Congratulations. Yeah, we opened a new branch in Midwest City. Yeah, and that's awesome. That's awesome. Um, you know, we opened up Midtown office, I think, uh, for a couple of reasons. One, in that particular market, which is the urban historic market, mm-hmm. you, in order to be, I think, um, really productive in that market, you have to be present in that market. Um, you have to know what's going on with the restaurants, you know, what restaurants have opened and what, you know, and, and what they're to do and where well, the popular the, places are. And the properties themselves, there's such unique properties in that area. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's it's an older area, but it's super, there's been a ton of remodeling, a ton of building. I, I love that area. Yeah. It's well, just got more culture more all abound in there. We've got new developments. I mean, there's some really cool things uh going on in that area and, and and it's it's the it's the heart of our city it's the center of our city so so I felt compelled and, and we've got some agents that are really strong in that market too and so um, I feel like uh, that office was is empowering to them it also gives us great visibility right there yes, on uh, Walker across from McNelly's you know um, to, <clears throat> to have that sign out there and just to be a part of that community and that's yeah. the that's the intent is to be a part of the community so. yeah you do you do a great job of it. Oh, thank you. The um, agents do a great job of it. Well, it's a team. It takes a takes a village, right? Sure. So, uh, you know, specific to the title business, mm-hmm. um, you know, we're getting kind of close to wrapping up, and I- I'm curious, you know, when you think about a lender, what yeah. do you, what do you look for in a lending institution when it comes to working with your borrowers? A lending and then, institution, and then I'm going to transition that to the title side. Sure. Well, it's I think it's going to be an easy transition because I think that we look for the same things, and that's a partner. It's a partnership. You're working yeah. together. I think that, um, and for me, this probably goes this goes back to you know the army is that when somebody says they're going to do something, I like to know that it's going to be done. Yeah. And so that's what I look for anytime we refer somebody um, uh, to 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 a, to a partner is that is that is that they do what they say they're going to do, and we can rely on that, and they're going to take care of our clients because they're an extension. Yeah. They're an extension. I mean, everybody knows that realtors are referral machines. We send out a lot of business to a lot of different people, you, and I've um, always, I've always said, if uh, real estate was an ecosystem, that the, the real estate agent is is pretty much known as the apex yeah. predator. You know? Yeah, well, and you, the, you're and, the one that, yeah. it, and it's almost reverse. You're the one that feeds sure. everybody else, not not eats yeah. everybody else. Yeah. You, and you lar- pretty much, you know, secure business for all of the lenders, the realtors, the appraisers, the inspectors, termite people. Yeah. You name it. Yeah. If you guys don't sell houses, it's going to be really hard for all of yeah. us. We're the we're the very last step. And the last one that needs to make a it's mistake a pretty important one. is the last step, <laughs> yeah. you know. Um, when the client expects the realtor to guide them through this whole process, you know, there's while the while the lenders doing their thing and titles doing their thing. I mean, they're, we're all working for the client, but if there's a title issue or if there's a finance issue, they're going to call their realtor to help That's them right. figure that out. So they expect us to be able to get them from um, from A to B to the finish line and coordinate with title and lender and the appraiser and the surveyor and the handyman and the electrician and um, 
and everybody else that's in, in, in involved, they expect us to be the one that guides them through that whole process. And that could go years after the close. Yeah, yeah. for I, sure. I hear realtors getting calls all the time. I want to be the person that, that they call yes. after they close. That's a ref, that's a repeat customer yeah. and, and somebody that can give you referrals. Well, and they, it means they trust you. That's right. It means they trust you. And they remembered that you did something right for them. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a, that's, that's a, it's a great compliment when somebody calls and says, hey, you know, Who's your HVAC guy? You know, mm-hmm. um, well, here's who, here's who I've used. You know, here's who I, I'd recommend. I mean, they 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 trust you. Um, so, um, yeah, it's it's an important role. So you've got, uh, I, I believe, some guy. I don't know. He's I don't know who the Wayne Kirby working for you. Yeah, I, I'll have to look at our records. I, uh, yeah, no. Uh, we're very fortunate to have Wayne uh, join us. So Wayne actually um, was the listing agent that I bought a house from before I was a realtor. My last house before I was a realtor, I, he was the listing agent. I met him at an open house. Yeah, he's a great friend of mine. And uh, yeah, he, I mean, um, we're very fortunate. Um, you know, th- but of course, when he was with Chicago Title, he would call on our office, and he was the only only vendor. Um, that I would allow to just walk past the front desk and come back to my office. This is Wayne Kirby. Just send him on back. He's fine. Thank um, you for that. So appreciate that. We, he did a wonderful job for us. Wayne, for well, sure. Well, you know, I, I had to figure out a way to get Wayne in the podcast, not just because he's a friend, but I know he's really important <laughs> to your organization. He's great. But, you know, I just teaching him how to fish was kind of hard. He's a little hard-headed sometimes. and. <laughs> You know, just had to make sure that, uh, you know, he knows how to fish now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, I just, I wanted to say thank you for your time. Thanks, I, you know, your reputation is impeccable. Well, thank you. What you've created in this market is really cool. I just, you. you know, from the outside looking in, I just want to say it's super cool to see what you've created. Thank you. We work really hard at it. Well, but I know your future. It's so bright. I know with you at the helm and, you know, people like Wayne working with you, your, your future is really bright. Thank you. And, you know... I just wanted to say thank you for your time. For our listeners out there, you know, I always want to remind everybody, it really does make a difference where you close. Thank you for spending your time with us on the title side. You're a natural. Yeah? You're a natural. Oh, I don't know about that.